Today's scripture comes from John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18, when Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene. Now Mary stood outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two white angels seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you are carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told him that these uh, that he had said these things to her. Amen. 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 Would you join with me in prayer? Lord God, we thank you this morning, God, for the life that you've given to us, for the family and friends that we have around us. God, for every good and perfect gift that you have given to us, God. Lord, you know where we are this morning. You know how we're coming and how we feel this morning, God. Lord, as we think about this encounter that you first had in your risen with Mary Magdalene, this conversation between just the two of you, God, I pray that today we might feel that same presence that you are just talking to each one of us individually. That God, you and me are having this meeting here this morning. And I pray that for each and every person that's here today, Lord God, I pray that we would hear your voice calling our name this morning, God. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, of course, you guys know it's Easter Sunday, right? You can't hardly escape that fact. Now, it also happens to be April Fool's Day, right? So some of you noticed that, April 1st. I'm not sure what April Fool's Day is, to be honest with you. I don't know the history of it. I didn't care about looking up the history of it. It's just something that I know that people have, right? But when I was a kid, I did like April Fool's Day. i got to be honest with you, all right? Because I was a bit of a prankster. I was a bit of a jokester. And some of you know that I like to give pranks and give jokes, right? And um, I've been on the receiving end and the giving end of some of the greatest pranks that have ever been pulled. So I know what it's like. But when I was a kid... All I cared about April Fool's Day was that it seemed to give me license to joke on people. Like, that was the one day I might not get in trouble, all right? Because I'd be like, oh, it's April Fool's Day. And people would be like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. But as many of you know, if you've ever been involved in trying to play jokes on somebody, sometimes it doesn't always go the way that you planned it to go, right? So I remember when I was in fourth grade, and I was all excited because I had all these jokes planned for my classmates. And I went into school, and I got situated early, and as the kids were coming into class and getting set up, I was going to try to play a joke on as many people as I could. And this one girl, Maria, she came in, and she sat down, and she put her stuff on her desk, and she got up to go put her coat away, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to play a joke for April Fool's Day on Maria. So I went up, and she had a little purse. She had like a little purse or wallet or something, and uh, so I took it off her desk, and I like went under her seat, and I like tucked it up underneath, I made it seven, and I hid it from her, and I thought, oh, this is going to be funny, and she comes back to her desk, and she's looking all over for it, and she can't find it, and I'm starting to laugh and snicker, you know, and like elbow my friend, and then all of a sudden, she starts crying, 
Like you went like serious, like tears, like flowing down. Like the sadness hit her heart. And I felt terrible. I was like, oh no, what did I do? And it was so bad, the teacher had to stop. The teacher was like, Maria, what's wrong? What's going on? And she said, I, I had my purse here. I just got it for my birthday. And it had all my birthday money in it. And it had my lunch money in it. And now it's gone. And somebody's taking it. And she started to cry. And the whole class was silent. And I was like, oh no. <laughs> and then the teacher did one of those. You know, he said, if anyone knows where Maria's wallet is, they'd better say so right now. And I was like, oh Lord, have mercy. <laughs> and I got up out of my seat and I did the walk of shame all the way up to her desk. And I reached under and I pulled it out and I gave it to her. And I said, I'm sorry. Um, April Fools. <laughs> but she was distraught. I mean, in her young mind, in her young heart, she was distraught. I mean, really, because she had lost something very valuable. And she thought that someone had taken it from her. And I feel like Mary Magdalene experienced some of those emotions, maybe even at a whole other level, because something, someone very valuable have been taken from her. And she must have thought that someone is either playing a very cruel joke by taking his body away or perhaps just being cruel. And we see her in this narrative of feeling those emotions that we know all too well. She's lost the one that she loved. She's lost her savior, her master, her leader. She's lost her friend. And then she goes and his body's gone. Not only has he been taken from her, but even his body now has been taken. She doesn't know by whom. She doesn't know where. And so we can understand some of the feelings and the emotions that she was in at that moment. But I think she is a very, very significant figure in this narrative of Easter. And even to us who say that we follow Jesus Christ, who call ourselves Christian, Mary Magdalene is one of the most important people to our faith and to our story. So I want to take a look at her for a minute with you this morning, if I can. The very first person to see Jesus alive as we celebrate Easter Sunday morning. Now, first of all, her name is Mary Magdalene, of course, and a lot of times names were different. That is where she was from, this town or area called Magdala. So that's why she was Mary the Magdalene. That's how people did their names back then. It would be like our Mary, who read scripture today, right? Her name is Mary White. That's how we know her. But back in the day, where do you come from, Mary? Manchester. She would have been known as Mary Manchester. <laughs> right? Now you laugh, but that's why you know, we like, hey, we got Mary Manchester in the house this morning. All right, Mary Manchester, right? Your name like, represents where you're from. So she was Mary of Magdala. So that's why she was called Mary Magdalene. Now she had had a very strong relationship with Jesus Christ when he lived on this earth. First of all, the Bible tells us, the gospel writer Luke, that she was delivered from seven demons. Amen. Delivered from seven demons, set free by this man called Jesus. This man who is delivering people of demons and healing people and teaching people and performing miracles. She had experienced in her life firsthand the miracles of God setting her free. And when she was set free, the gospel writer Luke also tells us that she was one of those who supported Jesus. He said there were some women, including Mary the Magdalene and Joanna and Susanna, and they were people who had means, who had money, and they would support the ministry of Jesus. So we see even from the beginning, it was the women who supported the ministry that was going on in the church. Amen? 
Some women better say amen because we know that they've been supporting for a long, long time, right? And she has been listed alongside the 12. Now, we know there were 12 disciples of Jesus, the famous 12. They were all men. But right alongside them is listed three women that are also given that place of prominence right next to the disciples. So she was a disciple. She was a follower of Jesus. She was, she was one of those who was together with the 12 men who followed Jesus. Luke puts them together to show the importance of the women who followed and supported Jesus. We don't know much about her early life except that she was delivered. Some speculate that maybe she had been into different kinds of stuff before she met Jesus. Some suggest that perhaps she was a prostitute or somehow benefited from that type of business. But when she met Jesus, her life was delivered. Every chain was broken, as we say, and she followed Jesus and she supported Jesus and she gave her life to Jesus. In fact, she was so committed that she was one of the three women that John says was there at the end. There at the end, not the men. The men were nowhere to be found. Only John makes his way to the cross at some point. But there were three women there. There were the three Marys, as John calls them. Face Marias. Three of them. Mary's mother. Her sister named Mary. His Tia. And Mary Magdalene. Think about how important that. Think about how important Mary Magdalene is. Because she gets seated and listed next to Jesus' mother. And next to his aunt. And then there was Mary Magdalene. She has become a very important, very prominent person in the life and the ministry of Jesus. She's there at the end. She witnesses him on the cross. In fact, she is one who will not leave. When so many others had scattered, she was there. And the Bible says she even saw where Jesus was laid. She was there and saw him being put into the tomb. So some that want to doubt the resurrection story say, well, maybe they went to the wrong tomb. Uh Uh-uh. Mary Magdalene knew where the tomb was because she was there when they laid him in the tomb. And then, of course, she was the first one on that Sunday morning, so many years ago, the Sunday after Jesus had died on the cross on Friday, she was the first one along with a couple of other women to go to the tomb. She was going there with spices, fragrant spices, to prepare his body, to do the, the customs and the traditions that they did. They didn't go on Saturday because it was the Sabbath, they were to rest, no work was to be done. But when dawn came on that first Easter Sunday morning, She was up and she was ready to go and she was grieving and mourning and she was going to prepare the body of Jesus with these fragrant spices. She is the first one to make it to the tomb. And of course, when she gets there, it's empty and she doesn't know what's happened. Is someone playing a joke on me? What's going on? What's happening here? Has someone taken the body and moved it somewhere else? I don't understand. This is not something you're supposed to do. And she looks inside and it's empty. And she sees two angels. And then you know something's going on, right? Because if you go to the grave to visit your loved one who's departed, and they ain't there, there's some angels there, you know something's going on. And I, I can just sense the confusion, her mind reeling, her world spinning, not understanding what's going on. And then, of course, she meets Jesus. The resurrected Jesus. And where does she meet him? This is important. This is significant. I want to look for a minute at the symbolism of the setting of where this encounter takes place. It takes place in the garden. Did you notice that she thought he was the gardener? That means she was in the garden and she thought he was the one that would take care of the garden. And this is a very significant and very powerful image. For in the Bible, in the Hebrew scriptures, in the Jewish literature and culture... They have a a great love poem called the Song of Songs. 
Some have said it's the Song of Solomon because they think it's connected with him. But it is one of the greatest love poems ever written. And it's the story of a woman and her true love and how they come together in the most powerful and beautiful love that we could see. And she finds him in a garden in this love poem. So in Song of Songs, chapter 6, verses 2 and 3, the woman says, My beloved has gone down to his garden, to the bed of spices, to browse in the garden and to gather the lilies. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. And he browses among the lilies. And of course, the lilies are a powerful symbol of resurrection. That's why we see them so often as Easter, because the plant, as some of you know, does not truly die, but it lies dormant until it comes alive again in the spring. Okay? And we understand that Jesus is appearing in the garden to the one who loves him. To the, the, she is looking for the person that she probably loved the most in her life. And she found the God that loves her the most in her life. In the garden, what a powerful symbol of beauty. What a powerful symbol of love. But of course, when we think of the garden, we think of another garden, don't we? For it's where God created the first man and the first woman was in a garden. In the garden of Eden was where Jesus Christ was creating the entire world. And when he created the man and the woman, he placed them into the garden of Eden. And it's where everything began. But we know that Adam and Eve, they rebelled against God. They disobeyed God. They turned away from God. They didn't trust him anymore. And they thought that the serpent was telling the truth when he said you can be like God if you disobey God. And so after they had sinned, it says that God came, as was his custom, in the cool of the day, to walk where? In the garden. And to talk with the ones that he had made and that he loved. But this time Adam and Eve hid in the garden because they were ashamed, because they were afraid. But it was in the garden that God came looking for them. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Why does Jesus appear to Mary Magdalene in a garden? Because the garden now is the symbol of a new beginning, of new life. Where mankind was once born in a garden in the Garden of Eden, it is in the garden outside the empty tomb that man is reborn. That we are born again. Because Jesus is signifying by being in a garden that he is recreating the world. Amen? Amen. That he is reversing the curse. That he is making all things new. The Bible says, for if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Amen? 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 We praise God that the new has come. Jesus is in the garden because he's recreating life. He's bringing new life. He's bringing, he's reversing the curse. The old has passed away and something brand new is beginning. Just as it all began in a garden, it begins again with new power, with new life in this garden where Jesus meets Mary, the Magdalene. Now her name in Hebrew is Miriam. And of course, Miriam, people who read this story would remember that Miriam was the sister of Moses. And she, along with Moses and her other brother Aaron, they led the people of Israel through the greatest moments in Israel's history. And she was therefore the first female political leader of the nation of Israel because she ruled alongside Moses and Aaron. And the Bible also says that she was a prophet, right? So she was the first female prophet 
in the Bible. And that's significant that Mary Magdalene's name was Miriam because she becomes the first as well in so many significant ways. And let me break that down for you just a little bit this morning. She was the first one to witness the resurrection. She was the first eyewitness. And why is this powerful and significant? Because at that time, women were not even considered reliable or allowed to give testimony in a court of law. A woman's testimony was not considered valid. So when Jesus raises from the dead and he needs an eyewitness to the most important event in human history, he chooses a woman. He chooses women to be the very first eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is significant. And not only that, she becomes the first apostle. How do you say it? Because apostle means sent one. That's what apostle means. The one who is sent. And what does Jesus do? He sends her to the others. He says, go and tell them this good news. Tell them that I have risen from the dead. Tell them that I am ascending back to my father. He sends her. He says, go and tell. And she becomes the first apostle in the Christian faith. And when she arrives to where she is sent, she becomes the first preacher of the Christian faith. Because she proclaims the word of God that Jesus is not dead. He has risen. And is there any greater sermon than any preacher that's ever lived? He is honoring and releasing women in leadership, in ministry, in power, and importance. And that's why for those of you visiting, we at Hartford City Church, we value women in leadership and in ministry. And we are committed to releasing women in their gifting and calling to lead and be a part of the leadership of the body of Christ. And I give thanks to all of our women that are leaders in this church this morning. I honor them. I honor them. I honor Pastor Rosalie, who leads us. And other women in leadership we have. We have Donna, who creates a beautiful display every Sunday morning. My wife, who leads the children's ministry. I honor her leadership in this church. I honor Alyssa, our worship leader, who leads our worship. And I want to mention, so you can be praying, that uh, also Jasmine, who helps lead our youth along with her husband, John. I give honor to Jasmine. Jasmine has been sent, like Mary Magdalene this morning. Her family is, is grieving the loss of a very close relative, and they asked her to come and to speak at the family memorial service this weekend. So while she wanted to be here, she is an apostle and a sent one out of Hartford City Church. And just like I try to tell you every week, everywhere you go, Hartford City Church goes there. Because this is not just a church, this is a movement. So we got HCC all the way down to New York this morning. And we give thanks to God for that. But it's so significant, so significant that she was the first eyewitness. And why is that? Because it is the eyewitness testimony that our entire faith is built upon. You see, this whole thing called Christianity, this whole gathering of churches, this whole belief that Jesus has been risen from the dead is based on people who had an eyewitness, firsthand account of Jesus Christ himself resurrected from the dead. And she wasn't the only eyewitness. The Bible says that over 500 people saw Jesus alive and testified that he had risen from the dead. And they spoke about it, and they wrote about it, and they told others about it. 
In fact, one historian has said there's more evidence that Jesus rose from the dead than there is that Julius Caesar even lived. Because we are built on the eyewitness, firsthand testimony of the people who saw Jesus alive. And I want you to understand that that's what our faith is built on. That that's what our faith rests on, is the belief in these eyewitnesses, the belief that began with the very first one. Mary Magdalene, and we believe their account, okay? And it's not that they tried to shut down this story, because they did. They tried to shut down this story in so many ways. They, more than anything, the Jewish leaders and the Roman leaders, they wanted this story to be fake news in the worst way possible. They wanted to discredit every single witness. They wanted to say that this didn't happen. They wanted to shut down this story, but they couldn't. And you know why? One of the biggest reasons is because they never could produce a body. You would think with all of the desire that the Jewish leaders had to prove that this story was false, with all of the resources that the Roman Empire had to find a body and say, oh, guess what? We found it. Here it is. You stole it. You've been hiding it. You think that with all of that, they could have produced a body, but they never found a body because there wasn't one. And you've got to consider that. Why were they not able to shut down this story? By providing the evidence that should have been hidden somewhere. That he was really dead and he wasn't really alive. So in the absence of being able to find any physical evidence to prove that he did not raise from the dead, then they tried the next step. You know what the next level was? Well, let's torture, let's imprison, let's persecute, let's beat, let's kill these Christians. And we'll see how long they hold to their fake story. We'll see how long they hold on to this lie that Jesus has risen from the dead. And as some of you know, many of them, most of them, gave their lives were willing to die for the belief that Jesus rose from the dead. And since that time, millions of people around the world have also given their lives in the belief that Jesus has risen from the dead. So I just ask you one simple question this morning. Would you die for a lie? Would you die for a lie? Would you give your life holding on to something that you know is true? Or does that show the reality of the experience that people have with Jesus Christ. I think sometimes today, we who follow Christ, we don't experience that power, we don't experience that, and I wonder, I question sometimes, and only you know in your heart, only I know in my heart, have you had an encounter with Jesus Christ? Is it just something you read about, or is it something you've experienced? I mean, how, do you have a testimony do you? Because that's what faith is built on. Our faith is built on the belief that Jesus Christ is real and that his presence is with us and that we can feel it and that he still speaks to us today. That God is still involved in our lives. And I think it's so important. My prayer is that each and every one of us would have those firsthand experiences and encounters with the risen Christ that give us our testimony. That's why we're saying this is the year of visible transformation. This is the year we want to see God like we've never seen him before. Amen? We want to know the power of the resurrection like we've never known before. We want to know that this makes a difference. Amen. Because if it doesn't make a difference, then why waste our time? It's just another good idea. It's just another great plan. But instead we believe that there's power like no other. That there is power in the name of Jesus to do things that can't be done in any other way. If you're wondering if the resurrection is real, just consider this. Would you die for a lie? So I want to go into this story. 
as we bring it home this morning. And I want us to find a couple of different points where we can enter into this story. Believing today that Jesus Christ is here, that his presence is here like it was with Mary Magdalene in this narrative that we've read. And the first thing that I noticed in the story is this, that Jesus was standing there and Mary didn't even realize it was him. He was standing there. His presence was there. She had seen him in action. She had ate with him. She had walked with him. She had lived with him. And yet she did not recognize him yet, but he was there. And the message I want to share with so many of you this morning is this. God has been in your life all the time. You may have felt far away from God, but God has never left. God's presence has been in your life. And you didn't even recognize it. You didn't even realize it at that moment. But he was there because he's always there. Because he's looking for you. Because he loves you. Because he is there for you even when we can't see him. Even when we don't recognize him. He is still there in your life. And my prayer this morning is that some of you would come to realize and recognize that presence of God that has always been there. Sometimes when we recognize the presence of God in our life, the reality of God, it's something that can happen dramatically. It's like turning on a light switch and we're like, ah, now I get it. Now I understand. Something just opened up for me in that moment. And I realized that God was real. For others, it's a slow process. It's kind of what I like to say, like the, the sun coming up in the morning. You know, the light begins a little bit. And it gets gradually lighter and lighter Sometimes you're not even sure exactly when it happened. But you get this small growing sense of the presence of God in your life, right? And so for some people it happens in an instant and they know the moment that their eyes were open. For others they say it was slow, like the dawn. And I don't know exactly when it happened, but I know years ago I was living in darkness, but today I'm living in the daytime. I know that at one time it was night in my life, but now it is day. And some of you here this morning, you're beginning to become aware of the presence of God because it's like the dawn. The light is just beginning, just small ways, and it's getting brighter and it's getting brighter. And you are in the right place because God is with you even if you don't recognize it yet. God is with you and he wants to reveal himself to you. I remember one of the times that I became aware of the presence of God was many years ago when I was 16 years old. And I was with a group from my church, and we were doing a work project down in New Mexico on the Navajo Reservation. And we were staying together in this place um, in Shiprock, New Mexico. And one night it was very hot in this hot summer desert night, and I was staying in a room with a bunch of different guys. And unlike what Angel said this morning, unlike the beautiful smell here, it smelled in that place, Brother Angel. I mean, it was not Easter. We were not prepared for that. And I was getting hot and stuffy, and I got out and I went outside, and we were next to a high school, and I went to the track of the high school, the running track, and I began to walk around the track, and it was the coolness of the desert air, and the stars were filling the sky like you couldn't believe out in the desert of the Southwest, and I just began walking in silence, and suddenly, slowly, I became aware that somehow, some way, I was not alone. I began to sense the presence of God. Right next to me, walking next to me. And not in words that I can hear with my ears, but in words that I felt in my heart, I began to hear the voice of Jesus speaking to me. And I knew that he'd always been with me. A kid who had so often felt alone, 
so often felt like I wasn't valued. So often felt like there was nobody to care. Walking by myself on that night, I felt the presence of God beginning to rise in my heart. And I heard his words. And of course, Jesus encounters Mary before she realizes it's him. And he says, why are you crying? Why are you crying? And it's often in our pain that Jesus meets us and he calls our name. I'll say it again. It's often in our pain that we hear Jesus calling our name. Because it's in the grief, it's in the sadness, it's in the loneliness that she felt at that moment. And so many of us sitting here today know how that feels. We know the emptiness, we know the pain, we know the loneliness, we know the grief, we know the sorrow. But it is so often in that place, in that very place of deep sadness and emptiness that Jesus will reveal himself to you. And it's okay to be there. And Jesus says, why are you crying? Because he knows that he's about to reveal to Mary his presence in the middle of her pain, in the middle of her loneliness, in the middle of her sadness. And then, of course, he asks her a second question. He says, who is it that you are looking for? And that's really the question of today, isn't it? Especially for those of you that have come because you've been invited. And those of you that have come because you think this is a good day to try to reach, connect, to try to figure out what God is all about. The question is, who are you looking for? Because we're all looking for something, right? We're all looking for something in our life that gives us significance. Something that allows us to feel important. Something that gives us meaning and purpose. And I believe that each and every one of us, each and every one of you, is looking for God. Even though you do not realize it yet. Because we search and we look for so many things, right? And those things don't fill us. They don't satisfy us. It's like we have a God-shaped hole in our lives. And other things we try to fill it and they just don't fill that hole. They just don't fit. There's still emptiness. We can achieve so much and yet feel that emptiness and feel lost. But we are really looking for God. (coughs) And we don't even know it yet because we're trying to fill that emptiness. If I can paraphrase an old song, we're looking for God in all the wrong places. We're looking for God in too many other faces. And not realizing that we still haven't found what we're looking for because we're really looking for God. And everyone's looking for God. Even the comedian, Chris Rock, recently said he's looking for God. He put it like this. He said, I'm trying to find God before God finds me. (laughs) Right? And I don't know where he's at. But something inside of him is stirring, right? Something inside of him is stirring. Even Snoop Dogg just put out a gospel album. Come on. Come on. You laugh, but I, I listened to his interview last night, and I was like, whoa. I listened to his interview. He said, I thought the church was supposed to be full of sinners. I thought if you had someone who'd been living their life the wrong way, and they wanted to try to get things right, that the church would welcome you. No, I'm preaching, Snoop. <laughs> I mean, the Lord can come on anybody. I don't know where he's at. Nobody knows the heart of another individual. That's why we don't judge. We don't judge because I don't know your heart. But I know the one who loves me, and he's the one who judges my heart. That's right. And in love, he tells me what I need to change, right? In love, he tells me what I need to get rid of and what I need to hold. Because he's the only one that can do that. And he's the only one that has power to do that. And when that happens, when I allow that work to begin, 
I realized that, ah, Jesus, you are the one that I've been looking for. I've been looking for. And the beautiful part of this story is that the one that Mary was looking for was also looking for her. And may you come to realize today that the God you've been looking for, if I can convince you that you're really looking for God, I want to share with you the good news that the God you've been looking for is looking for you. And he's come to you this morning. And maybe today in this place, this is your garden. Yes. Your garden. And maybe in this place today, you will become aware of the presence of a God who's always there. Maybe today you'll find the one that you've really been looking for and the one that's been looking for you. Maybe today you will hear the voice of Jesus Christ calling your name and waking you to eternal life. That moment when he said, Mary, and she recognized him. I just pray that you would hear God's voice this morning, that you would hear God's voice calling your name, that you would hear God's voice saying, Mary, that you would hear God's voice saying, Danny, that you would hear God's voice saying, Donna, that you would hear God's voice calling your name. And Mary falls down on his feet, and she worships. She worships. And then she is sent to declare the good news to others. All around the world, millions and billions of people hearing this message that we get the privilege of sharing that the tomb is empty. Jesus is not dead, but he's alive. Now the Bible gives us a great promise. It says in the book of Romans that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord, and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. We'll be saved. Saved means our sins are forgiven. That we are set free from every chain that would bind us. That we are healed from every disease, physical and emotional, that would come against us. That we have eternal life. Life that begins now and life that never ends. For if Jesus could rise from the grave, then one day I know he will call my name from the grave. And I will rise up as well. And I will follow the one who loves me. And calls me by name. Today I want to give you a simple invitation. To believe that Jesus is risen from the dead. And to confess or to declare. That he is your Lord and Savior. And if you do that I believe that you will receive salvation. And eternal life this morning. And some of you may want to recommit your lives to Christ. Maybe you entered into this story and you felt like, yeah, that's me. I know that I've been looking in all the wrong places. I know that I felt far away from God. But I've heard the news that even though I felt far away from God, that God's been looking for me. And that God brought me here this morning because he's closer than you think. He's right next to you this morning. Oh, would you pray with me this morning? Would you close your eyes in prayer? Would you listen to your heart right now this morning? I just pray that you would just take a moment right now. Become aware of the presence of God in your life.